So Jesus said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign. And Paul said, Jews demand signs and Greek looks, look for, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Both of those statements don't put signs in a very good light. Jesus said, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. So what is God's perspective of signs? What are they and is God favor of signs or is he not in favor of signs? Maybe a question that we might be asking, not just in the life of Gideon, but in our lives ourselves. We want so much sometimes for God to make things super clear. So that's what this passage is all about, is this idea of signs. Just to launch in and give you an example, let's take a look down in our scriptures at chapter 6, starting in verse 36, where we read about the famous sign of the fleece. And in fact, today we say, hey, I'm going to put a fleece out. And when we say that, this is what we're referring to. So Judges chapter 6, then Gideon said to God, so we're in the middle of a conversation, God, Gideon, then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on the ground all around, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. And it was so, when he rose early next morning and squeezed the fleece out, he wrung out enough water from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Notice how many times he says, please. He already knows this may not be healthy. This mighty and sovereign God, I'm putting to the test. There's already some knowledge of signs. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on the ground let there be dew. He wasn't sure if he had gotten his science right. You know, wait a minute, how does this work? I need to make sure. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on the ground there was dew. So you already sense the tension around the idea of signs. Gideon seems to know in his relationship with God and the word of God that we are not to test God, that it's dangerous to challenge God. And yet God is gracious and God accommodates the relationship and God accommodates where Gideon is at. And he actually answers and he answers generously. The fleece wasn't damp. I mean, I, I don't, can't imagine wringing out a piece of fabric and getting an entire bowl full of dew in the morning. That sounds like a generous amount. And then for it to be 100% dry the next day, God was clearly saying, Gideon, I love you and I will accommodate you. And this isn't the first sign. Do you remember Gideon's first sign? Actually, it's back a little further. In verses 16 through 18, uh, the scriptures say this. Again, in the middle of a conversation between the Lord and Gideon, the Lord says, I will be with you and will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. And then Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring you an offering and set it before you. And then you remember this from a couple of, or from last week that he actually prepared some food. He prepared some meat and some bread and some broth and he brought it out and he set it down on the rock. And then the angel said, take the broth and pour it over the bread and over the meat. In other words, get it wet. 
And then the angel of the Lord touched the rock and the food flamed and it was burned up and the angel disappeared. So let's take a look at this. It's interesting that Gideon is not doubting God's presence. He's not even doubting that God is speaking because there's literally dialogue happening somehow between Gideon and God or those who represent God and the angel of the Lord. And yet Gideon is looking for something miraculous. He's already getting the communication. He already knows the will of God by the words that they're exchanging. So what is he really asking for? He's asking for a demonstration of power. He's asking for God to do what only God could do. God, would you sign this conversation with your power? And so we have this burning wet food, and then we have this unique fleece that is both wet and dry. Who initiated the requests for those two signs? Was it God or was it Gideon? It was Gideon. It was an ask from Gideon. And what were the purposes? What were the purpose? What was the specific purpose that he was asking in the first sign? He said, let me know it's really you talking to me. Do what only God can do so that I know the messenger in front of me is representing the miraculous God who is the God of Israel. And then why? The, what's the purpose in asking for that second sign? He's asking to know that you will actually provide power to fulfill the promise that you've made to me. You've said that you will deliver the Midianites by my hand as a commander. Would you show me a miracle to demonstrate this? Now, guess what? There's actually two more signs. So let's keep going before we talk about what all of this means and why are these signs here. So look forward in chapter 7, starting in verse 4. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. So Gideon had called together the tribes of Naphtali uh, and a couple of others, and they had assembled 32,000 men. And now God kind of turns the tables, and he has some requests of Gideon. He's given Gideon the affirmation he needs. He's given Gideon some promises. He's given Gideon two signs of miraculous power. And now he speaks back to Gideon and says, there are still too many people. Um, so the first thing God did was to tell Gideon, hey, you can tell everyone who actually doesn't want to be here today, who doesn't want to fight, that they can go home. So out of 32,000 people, 12,000 men pick up their weapons and walk away. Say, thank you. I don't really want to be here today. So at this point, we have 20,000. And that's where this conversation happens. The people are still too many. Take them down to the water. The water in this instance is a spring, and it's a spring that still exists in Israel. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go, shall not go with you. And any one of whom I say, this one shall go, he shall go with you. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, you shall set aside as well. So these people came by this spring to drink, and every time somebody got down on their hands and knees and set their weapon down to drink, they went into one area. And then those that lapped the water like a dog and still retained their weapons, he sent to another spot. And only 300 of the men drank water, keeping their weapons in hand. The other 19,700 men drank otherwise, and they were sent away. 
It's amazing to me. I, you have to applaud Gideon for being okay with this. For all of his fear, he doesn't argue. So this is a different sign. So who initiated this sign? God. God initiated this one. Gideon didn't ask for it. So God provided a sign. So there's a positive plus one for signs, for sure. And what was the purpose for this sign? It was to discern who was to go and who was not to go, right? Who would go with them. And the, the amazing thing is what God happened to say in the middle of this. He said, the number of those who lapped, putting their hands... And the Lord God said, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let the others go, everyone to his home. And God also said in the midst of this, I need to make sure that Israel knows that it isn't by their own hand, but it's by my hand that this happens. So God is setting up a miraculous sign for all of Israel to know that he has truly delivered the people. Now a fourth sign. And this begins in verse 9. That same night, the Lord said to him, to Gideon, arise, go down. I love that he keeps having dialogues with God. Aren't you a little bit jealous? I mean, this is amazing, right? Wouldn't you love to do whatever you do with God literally speaking over your shoulder? That same night, the Lord said to him, arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. There's an affirmation of the promise. Listen to this. But if you are afraid, but if you are afraid, again, the empathy and the understanding of God, even to one he's called into leadership, even at a time when this leader needs to be bold. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number, so the sand, <clears throat> as the sand on the seashore is in abundance. Then Gideon came, and behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. I just can't picture this. He's walked all the way to the edge of the camp, and the camp is thousands, hundreds of thousands of men, and he's within earshot to hear a conversation. But it's what happened. It's amazing. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. I can't help but hear this song when I hear that. I, I dreamed a dream? Yeah, so, sorry, a little distraction there. Behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it, and it fell, and it turned upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given his hand, given into his hand Midian and all the camp. God is talking to everybody. He's actually spoken to the enemy. And through a dream, he's let them know you're about to be destroyed. And somehow the men know through the stories that are being told, yeah, this is Yahweh, their God. And this is Gideon who leads the army. They completely understand what's happening. So really everybody in the story has been informed about what's happening. It's been scripted. And God has shared the script with everyone. Okay, this fourth sign, who initiated it? God initiated it. So this is the second God-initiated sign. And for what purpose? 
to comfort and strengthen Gideon. What a beautiful, that just is so beautiful to me, that he's returned one more time, knowing the frailty of his commander, and said, I've got this, but I, but I know you need to know that, and I know you need to have confidence. I'm just so grateful for how understanding God is. So the question is, what does God think about signs? How would you answer that question after reading these stories? What does God think about signs? If he initiates it, it's okay. That sounds good and safe. Yeah, if God initiates the sign, it's a good idea. I like that. What else? It depends on the heart of what? The heart that's asking for it. Okay, yeah, say more. Like, how would you characterize Gideon's heart? Right. Yeah. Yeah, because Gideon is, is in a positive relationship with God. When Jesus says a wicked and adulterous generation seeks a sign, he's saying we do not have a good relationship. And so to that generation, no sign will be given but the sign of Jonah. But in this context, with Gideon, there's a backstory. He's part of the people of God. And so there's, this fits into the relationship, right? Yeah. So there it's appropriate. Absolutely. So I would say this. I would say signs are God's gifts for humans in their fears and in their insecurities. I'll say it again. Signs are God's gift for humans who are full of fear or insecurity. Those who doubt God need signs. Those who don't know God need signs. Those who are far from God need signs. Those who are struggling to trust God need signs. Those who are even struggling to hear the voice of God need signs. And God is gracious to give them to those who are truly seeking God. So let's take this into the life of Jesus. What is going on in the life of Jesus around signs? Actually, Jesus initiated a tremendous number of signs in his coming. He came to preach the gospel and to heal the sick and to raise the dead and to set people free from demons. So Jesus was heavy into sharing the signs of God. Why? Because the people he came to didn't know him. The people he came to were far from him. The people he came to doubted them. And he wanted to give assurance and he wanted to give proof of the compassion and the love that he was carrying in the name of the Father. So to them, God initiated signs. So these are welcome signs. Now throughout the story, you have a lot of requests going on. You have requests coming from sincere hearts that really want to be assured. And in those places, Jesus graciously responds with a sign. And then you have others who have seen a lot of signs and are demanding another one. And they're demanding it out of a desire to... Um, disprove Jesus or to in conflict with him and to them he said no no sign will be given to you so signs are definitely gifts from God to those who need them who are on the road to a healthy relationship with God let's get past Jesus so we could say well okay this is Yahweh working with his people this is Jesus working with his people 
what about us? What about today? What about the apostles that followed Jesus? So in Acts 1.26, we see this. And this was a moment in leadership when there was in insecurity. So, um, um, sorry, uh, <laughs> Judas. <laughs> Judas had betrayed Jesus. And so he was out from among the 12 apostles. And it was time to replace him. And you remember the story. They decided to, to roll some dice, to cast lots. This was what the priests regularly did in their work. And they did it to do what? They did it to know the will of God. We're not sure what the will of God is, and so we're going to leave it to what we might call chance, believing that a sovereign God will affect the role and that the result of the role will be the will of God. These men knew this practice, and they chose that practice, and so they literally rolled the dice, and the dice fell to one of two men that they had already chosen, Matthias. So again, here is a sign for the apostles. I know there's debate around how much that was actually the will of God. We never hear Matthias mentioned again in the scriptures, although we don't hear Bartholomew again and other disciples as well. So we don't even know, was that truly the will of God? But I want to contrast all of this insecurity and all of this doubting with another episode later in Acts chapter 13. <clears throat> By this point, the apostles have come to understand that the weight of the ministry of Jesus has been given to them. They have also been filled with the Holy Spirit, and they have begun to bear the weight of that ministry, and they've begun to bear it well. So they're contrastedly different men at this point. They are no longer doubting. They are no longer confused about what Jesus sent them to do. They know what they're to do, and they're in this more deeply intimate relationship. And look at what happens in Acts 13, too. While the disciples were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them to do. What a contrast. What has just happened here? Contrast this to the rolling of the dice in chapter 2, chapter 1. At this point, you have people who are walking in high sensitivity and relationship to the Spirit of God. And they've chosen, rather than to roll dice and to ask for a sign, to fast and to pray and to worship and to discern. And this is the beauty of maturity in Christ. And this is really where I want to land today and talk to you. How many of you would love a sign right now in your life? Yeah. Who's willing to say in what way? What would you like a sign about? Just in generalities, one or two of you. What would you love a sign for? Say it again. A decision about a job. You have an important decision to make. It's going to really matter what happens, how your life goes forward. A sign would be wonderful. Just a, an assurance. Go this way. Don't go that way. Absolutely. Anyone else with a different situation where you would love a sign? In a relationship? Okay. Yeah. So not so much a decision needs to be made, but you need some discernment around a relationship. Absolutely. Does God use signs today? Yeah, he does. But I think we need to zoom out and realize that the record of these signs are very rare. All of these stories that we're reading, they happened over decades, and we're just looking at the tiniest of highlight reels, and we're looking at highlight moments in their lives. And so I think we can conclude that signs aren't necessarily the daily life of God and his people, 
But when God chooses, when he initiates them, they can be tremendous and they can be wonderful. Anybody have a story of a sign, a literal, miraculous, observable sign in your life that you'd be willing to come up here and tell for just a minute? It's got to be somebody. Tricia? So when I was a um, senior in high school, um, most of my friends were going to a school on the East Coast. Um, I went to a Christian school, and most of them went to a Christian college there. And I was signed up and ready to go, but I had just horrible gut feeling it wasn't right, even though everybody else was doing it. And so I really prayed and prayed and prayed about it, mostly feeling like I was just being rebellious, but um, I just, just didn't sense it was right. And asking God, please, you know, let me know if this is the right way to go. And then that summer, um, oh, by the way, the degree that I wanted, which I never really finished, was home ec, which was kind of going out of style. There weren't really a lot of schools that had it. So I had looked for a lot of different places and hadn't found anything. Anyway, that summer, we had a singing group that came to our church, and they presented their, you know, sang and gave us their presentation about school. And guess what? They had home ec. And as soon as I heard this, I just like immediately just felt like the Holy Spirit just opened my eyes. And I walked out of the building, and my mom looked at me, and I looked at her, and we were like, that's it on the spot, decided that's where to go. And I knew that was a sign from God. It was crazy, but I just felt like I had trusted him to lead me and that he did. And of course, that was the school that I went to where I met Rick. What a wonderful romantic story. <laughs> thank you for that spontaneous story. And it truly was, that was not a plan, so but thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So there's discernment going on and there's a desire for clarity like you're talking about with the job and, and you're seeking out, you know, I don't know that you really asked for a, did you ask for a sign specifically? You just asked for wisdom. So not even specifically for something miraculous, but in the way that these messengers came to your church, the things that they said and the sense of the peace of the spirit, it was a sign for you and to your mother as well. That's awesome that it was confirmed by another witness and an important witness in the decision. Yeah. We'll talk more about your mother at another time. <laughs> All right. So where do we land with this today? I think we can say that God is willing to provide signs and that he wouldn't be upset if we asked. I believe that's a safe thing to say. I also believe that there will be times, and maybe there have been times for you, where God has initiated a sign, and for that you were grateful. And I would imagine it was probably a pretty important situation that, that needed, you really needed clarity, and it wasn't coming in any other way. So thank God for that. But I want to press into, I believe, what God has for us as we become mature in him. And that is this reality that I do believe, and you believe as well, I'm sure, that God wants to actually speak into all of our decisions, small and large, that he wants to be a part of the discussion and the discovery. That's who our God is. He loves us that deeply, and he wants to be invited into every aspect of our lives that we have. And so what does that look like? And I would say that there are times to ask, and there are times to watch, and there are times to pray. But the beauty of maturity in Christ and the beauty of being the people of God who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Remember Gideon and his period, this period in history, the Spirit only came and went. The Spirit only came as a messenger and left, came upon someone for a task and left. 
But we have this incredible reality as no other humans before the advent of Jesus Christ and the resurrection to where the spirit of the living God is willing to rest within us every moment of our lives. And I know you know that, but as I watch myself and you, I realize I don't think I know it that well. <laughs> because what do we have in Christ? When we have these moments like Gideon did of tremendous insecurity, a sign isn't necessary. Because the comfort and the peace of Jesus that overrules understanding is present and is available. And when hard decisions come, the wisdom of the Holy Spirit is present. Now let me add this. The scriptures make it plain that it's where two or three of you come together and agree in my name. And maybe one of the aspects that we miss out on God's willingness to lead us and give us discernment is he invites us to do that together. And I think a lot of times we unnecessarily work hard by ourselves to make to discern. And we're just looking for an answer. And the answer isn't necessarily a miraculous sign. The answer is a vulnerable conversation with one or two people you trust to come and join you where you're praying and come and join you where you're fasting and to come and join you where you're asking. And then you kind of get set free from doing it by yourself, not because of a miraculous sign, but because of the love of God. And isn't that beautiful? Because what God is saying is, I want to put my miracle work and I want to put the things I do within the context of love and relationship. And I want to just put your relationships into turbo drive by doing the miraculous things I do among you as you talk and as you pray and as you fast. So two places I want to encourage you in this regard. One is as we begin to observe Lent, which is, begins this coming Wednesday. It's Ash Wednesday and it's the beginning of the 40 days of Lent. Remember, Lent is a season that is a reflection of a season in Jesus' life when he was moving from being an ordinary unknown person to beginning to reveal the reality that he was the Messiah. And so in preparation for living the life God had called him to well, he was led in by the Holy Spirit to a season of 40 days of fasting and prayer. And now we reflect that as the church every year if we observe this season of Lent. And in the same way, just as weekly we celebrate freedom from sin, annually we kind of want to do a spring cleaning in our soul and go a little deeper than the weekly communion ask and really ask for a period of time, God, search my heart. Talk to me about where I'm at, the state of my soul, the state of my relationship with you, the condition of my relationship with my family members. God, what do you want to clean up? What do you want to reconcile? What do you want to restore? And so it's a season where we need to make space to listen. It's a season where we need to maybe fast sometimes. I know so many of us struggle with fasting, and I get it, and I have as well. And I've struggled for a day, and I've struggled for three weeks, and I've had all kinds of experiences. But I can say this without a doubt. My sensitivity to the Holy Spirit increases when I fast. I've chosen in the last year on Sunday mornings, I don't eat until after this gathering is over because I'm hungry to be in touch with the Holy Spirit when I'm teaching and when I'm leading. And, I'm, and it happens. And when I have a few donut holes and I get sloppy, I'm not saying God is rewarding me, but it's just a reality. I think I satiate my body and I let down that sense of the Holy Spirit. I remember fasting for three weeks once, and I so didn't want to stop because that connection was so sweet. And hearing the Spirit had, was starting to become pretty powerful. And I lost a lot of weight. <laughs> but 
But I realized I needed to stop. My body was giving me signs. You can't keep doing this. And I felt the invitation from God. You need to break the fast now. And I've only done that once in my life. But I, I want to encourage you as you celebrate this Lenten season, consider even missing a meal or two with a really specific purpose of prayer and listening. The other thing I want to invite you into, and I've already done this before, is this Space for God retreat that's coming in the last Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of March, which is just around the corner. There's, some of you have signed up, and we're going to go, and it's going to be awesome. But I, I believe there are some of you who haven't signed up yet who really need to go. And one of the good things is we will be after the mask mandate at that time, so it, you won't need to wear a mask at all if you go on that retreat. In fact, by the way, on March 20th of this month, you won't need to wear a mask in here unless you want to. So looking forward to that freedom for sure. But I want to invite you again, consider and pray about joining us at the Space for God retreat. It's going to be a place for you. There'll be some sessions, but most of all, it will be time for you to pray, to journal, to fast, to listen. Actually, we're serving meals, so you may not fast that weekend. That might just be awkward. You can fast later or fast before. Ooh, there's a great idea. Fast before the retreat. But it's a time to get alone. And, and even if you decide, you know what, I need all of those hours just for me and God, well, we would gladly dismiss you from the sessions that we're going to do so that you can truly get alone with God, with your journal, with a book, with a Bible. Ask some hard questions, get some good answers, and make space for God to speak in your life.